Hello, everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of the podcast. My name is Richard Bryant, and I am your host. It's May 4th, 2020. This is the Corona Chronicles, Day 53. Here are today's news and notes. From our friends at the Theater Times, Gators at Tramp Productions. This was posted by Alex Sears and is from the United Kingdom. She's an ordinary young woman and she really doesn't know what to think. After all, things are way out of control, out of order. She knows that the natural world is pretty fucked and that nothing grows in the earth anymore. Well, at least not in her patch. She knows that the gators, the semi-aquatic reptiles that used to live in swamps, have now taken to strolling through cities, and that they fall in love with humans and serenade them and feel bad when they are rejected. She also knows that there are codes of behavior, ways of doing things in everyday life that are right, and those that are wrong. So what happens when these codes are broken? Philip Ridley's masterly monologue, the first in an epic series being streamed by Tramp Productions on its YouTube channel, explores the anxieties of our current culture of fear by boldly inventing the metaphor of ever-present alligators. In this short story, which is barely 20 minutes long, the nameless female speaker describes a world in which gators live side by side with humans, fall in love with them, and then finally scuttle off when the correct rejection procedure is followed. She also shows what happens when the codes that govern daily life are broken and the devastating consequences of not obeying the rules. Sounds familiar, eh? Rachel Bright, who played Poppy Meadow in EastEnders, adds down-to-earth credibility to this allegorical tale, with an openness and frankness that adds charm to the terror of the words. Whipkey Green directs neatly, with assistance from the director of photography, Jack Silver, making this a perfect piece for streaming on your laptop or phone. Bright talks straight to us, as if on Skype or Zoom, and her affability and closeness lends an intimacy to this story that is partly gothic and part science fiction. At moments, you really feel that she is bearing witness in between her swigs of lager to events that sound really outlandish in the cold light of reason, but which in her matter-of-fact performance seem curiously convincing. From the start, when she tells us that she has lent her Uzi to Teron, a young man that needs to scare off a nine-foot gator who has gone sweet on him, the narrative is a glorious mixture of the funny and the fearful. The details that accumulate, like sediment on the floor of the nearby swamps, gradually create an atmosphere that is both surreal and realistic. At his best, Ridley parodies the typical attributes of ordinary people to to any catastrophe. Some spread rumors, others claim they know better, others exaggerate or scoff, yet others develop and disseminate conspiracy theories. Some look back nostalgically, some gaze on in horror. This is recognizably familiar and grounds the bizarre in the fertile soil of the mundane. After all, if the events of recent weeks have taught us anything, it is surely that our everyday lives are fragile and vulnerable to disruption, to totally unexpected twists of fate. In Gators, this comes across though strongly, but so does the resilience of the narrator. At different times, she is a survivalist, an exponent of the Me Too movement, and a person determined to try a different solution to an emergency. She is a good neighbor and a ballsy youngster. The flexibility of Ridley's metaphor is impressive. The situation that he sketches out is definitely about our world, and although coronavirus is never mentioned, clearly it is there in the background. And, for the time being, humanity's main defenses are our inventiveness and our resilience. The origins of this monologue exemplify the same qualities. Beyond and before London theaters were shut down on March 16th, the Southwark 
Playhouse was due to premiere Ridley's last play, The Beast of Blue Yonder, scheduled to open on April 2nd. When this was impossible, the company came up with an idea they call The Beast Will Rise, in which East cast member of the play performs one new monologue each week. They promised people a world premiere in April, and they have delivered one. So the playwright, having written Gators, says that 13 other monologues will follow, each streamed weekly for free, although donations are welcome. If the first one is anything to go by, there will be a marvelous contribution to Ridley's imaginative celebration of the glittering dark. This article was originally posted at sears.cu.uk. That's sears.co.uk. Continuing on with our international news, from Ian Kiyingi Mudu out of Uganda, Beauty and the Beast, a children's story, a universal message. It is a full house. A full house on a Friday? That's rare here. Anyway, we're almost packed like sardines. I'm sitting next to a lovely three-year-old and her mother. Lovely until she starts crying. Apparently, the child wants to sit in the stalls where her friends, a one Max, and the other name I haven't heard well, are sitting. We are in the circle. We couldn't get a seat in the other part of the auditorium. These seats are numbered, you see. The seat number. The ticket number. Mother explains, bribing the child with a candy. But the child cries even more, leaving her mother uneasy. Mother needn't. For when the show begins just a couple of minutes after 7 p.m., the child stops crying. Her loveliness returns and would not desert her for the next one and a half hours. The play has taken her attention. The picturesque backdrops and flats, the fanciful costuming, and the children's sturdy articulation of their roles in Beauty and the Beast, the musical that opened on Friday, March 13, 2020, at the National Theater in Kampala, could wow anyone who has a taste for fine things, child or not. Directed and produced by Dr. Nabila Farat Siddiqu for the Daffodils Young Artist Society, a children's theater group of the Daffodil School in Kampala, Beauty and the Beast is an adaptation of the eponymous fairy tale, first told as early as 1740. Siddiqu's stage adaptation is not far from the original plot. Beauty, played by Lindy Mutangra, and her two sisters ask their father, Master Geltebran, played by John Patrick Kosoboi, to bring them presents when he returns from a voyage. Once there, Master Giltebran comes from a beautiful comes across a beautiful rose flower and remembers Beauty asked for a rose as a present. As soon as he plucks the flower, the owner of the garden, the beast, played by Elijah Arihu, emerges and holds him captive. The beast will only set him free if his daughter, Beauty, is brought to him. The rest is history. Beauty and the beast madly fall in love. There's this intrinsic beauty about children's theater the power of telling a complex story in a simple way. In Beauty and the Beast, DYAS has effortlessly lived, in, lived to this mark. With a cast of 50 children, the actors, singers, ballerinas, and the band have theoretically reincarnated the old tale with ease. The children, all between ages 9 and 12, go about their roles with the sheer simplicity of Do You Love Him? Yes, Father acting. But the moral of the story rings true. Love wins over revenge, jealousy, or ill luck. Or in this case, of the child next to me here, Love and DYS's Beauty and the Beast wins overall wines, but they be see but they foresee be they for sitting next to Max in the other part of the auditorium. This article was originally posted at the African Magazine.com. Page two. As you know, today is May the fourth. And, of course, there must be some form of Star Wars production done today. 
a Shakespearean version to boot. To promote Star Wars Day, a Shakespearean version of Star Wars is going to be performed online for Star Wars Day. The version is written by Ian Dosher. This article comes from What's on Stage and was presented by Alex Wood. The show must go on. An online series performing Shakespeare plays on YouTube will present a Shakespearean version of Star Wars this evening. Directed by Rob Miles, the piece will star Tiffany Abercrombie as Princess Leia Organa, Sam Benjamin as Han Solo, Bill Bingham as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Elliot Bornman as Luke Skywalker, Dominic Brewer as C-3PO, Karina Brown as Ensemble 3, David Jamal as Ensemble 2, Stephen Leesk as Chewbacca, Eugenia Lowe as R2-D2, Ruth Page as Ensemble 4, Miguel Perez as Darth Vader, Ramona Von Push as Ensemble 1, with Clark Alexander as Swing. Anyone wanting to watch can register through the website and with the performance kicking off at 9 p.m. on May 4th, today. Miles today said, We have been offered an incredible opportunity to perform Shakespeare's Star Wars on Star Wars Day in the amazing Elizabethan version created by Ian Dosher. As someone who became a storyteller because of the original Star Wars films, being able to combine my childhood love with my enduring love of Shakespeare as an adult is something of a dream come true. Dosher's much-loved Shakespeare Star Wars was originally published in 2013. It replicates the plot of Star Wars, A New Hope, but uses 15th and 16th century language and odes to Shakespeare. May the fourth be with you. In other news, also from what's on stage, Trafalgar Studios to be turned back into a single auditorium space. Planning permission has been granted for the redesign. Planning permission has been granted for Trafalgar Studios to be converted back into a single auditorium. As per initial reports in the stage and plans released online in February 2020, the design will reinstate the venue's balcony and remove the smaller Trafalgar Studios 2 space. According to a letter from venue owners Rosemary Square and Howard Panter attached to the planning application, the construction works would convert the venue back to a single auditorium, restoring its Art Deco style in a manner sympathetic to its original 1930s construction. The theater, formerly known as the White Hall, was converted into a two-theater complex in 2004 and rechristened as Trafalgar Studios. Squire and Panter justified the move on the grounds that, at the time of the conversion in 2004, the West End lacked smaller performance space, which could accommodate developing talent in our industry to present new work. While the theater originally met the need, in the 15-plus years since its conversion, there have been a number of new venues in the West End and Central London, such as the Bridge Theatre, the Boulevard Theatre, and imminently the new NIMAX Theatre on the site of the old Astoria, which addresses that need in purpose-built venues without the compromises inherent in converting an existing older building. The new auditorium will be a 630-seat space designed for shows with longer runs, with many producers, the pair have said, interested in utilizing the venue in the future. New lighting fixtures, in keeping with the 1930s decor, will also be added. Other alterations include refurbished toilets, new bar counters, and stores, a new paint scheme and carpeting in the auditorium, boxes being returned to use, new seating based on the original 1920s layout, and a reimagined entrance foyer space. The pair also said the original circle front, which was removed, was saved and is stored in the theater. The reversible design approach 
adopted in 2004, means that the reconversion of the theater to its original form can be achieved relatively easy and without major structural alterations. It is unknown when building work will commence or if the venue will return its current title. Coming from our friends at Stage Directions, Showlight 2021 postponed due to coronavirus. It is with great disappointment that we announce the postponement of Showlight 2021 scheduled for May 2021 in Fontainebleau, France, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. This has been an extremely difficult decision, which has been made in view of both the immediate effects and anticipated recovery period that will be needed by companies and individuals across the industry in the upcoming months. The state of the lighting industry, the probable extension of restrictions and gatherings, and the effect that this is having on theaters, cinemas, events, and concerts worldwide, where audiences are involved, are immediate and catastrophic, and the resulting effect to employment and income within all aspects of performance and the technical support of entertainment at all levels are equally devastating. But we sincerely hope that, by May 21st, 2021, the situation will have improved. We cannot tell to what extent events and social interaction will have returned to normal. While last month we were confident enough to continue preparing for the original dates, the ongoing feedback from the industry makes it evident that the after effects will take longer to subside. The industry will need time to recover, and companies and individuals will need to prioritize their own financial recovery. But while we acknowledge that Showlight is a much-loved event, the well-being of everyone in our industry comes first. We need to be sensitive to the financial situation that many of our sponsors, exhibitors, and delegates may find themselves in, through no fault of their own. After the worst of the pandemic has passed, we understand the cost of exhibiting, travel, and accommodation for Showlight would be an added strain on company and individual finances at a time when income and wages are severely reduced. So we feel that postponing Showlight until these have had a chance to recover is the most sensible thing to do. In addition, Showlight is a voluntary organization entirely dependent upon the support of its sponsors and exhibitors. Without sponsorship from many companies and the goodwill and attendance of lighting industry exhibitors, the economics of Showlight would be severely impacted. We also have to consider our delegates, many of whom will spend a large proportion of the next few months either unemployed or furloughed, in which case attendance at Showlight so soon after the crisis may not be responsible for a variety of reasons. So for now, we, like everyone, urge you to stay home, stay at home, be safe, and keep connected via the website, the show Showlight mailing list, Twitter, and Facebook for updates on a revised date for Showlight. And we look forward to meeting you in happier, healthier times. Take care and be safe. Further information from Showlight can be found at www.showlight.org. Again, that's www.showlight.org. Page 3. Here are some quick tidbits from our friends at USITT. Unfortunately, they had to reschedule today's New at Noon series, but they hope to present the session in the near future. They ask you to look out for more updates and, of course, to see you tomorrow. Also, be sure to check out all the events that are happening for the New at Noon and the Forum at Four series all week. Also from USITT, the founder of the Broadway Stage Management Symposium, Matthew Stern, takes a look at what adjustments need to be made in order to begin reopening venues, particularly as it pertains to stage management, as well as to what our industry may look like in the long run. Titled, 10 Changes for Stage Managers and Life Backstage in a COVID World, brought to you by broadwaysymposium.com. Again, that's broadwaysymposium.com. The article is entitled, 
the curtain will rise again. Also, here are the latest jobs postings from USITT for the week of May 4th, 2020. If you'd like to submit a job to the list, you can visit usitt.org jobs. Some of the new jobs include visiting assistant professor of theater, acting and directing at Binghamton University, a stage management lecturer at Binghamton University, a costume construction specialist at Binghamton University, an audiovisual installation technician, all pro integrated systems at Pensacola, Florida, a technical director at the School of Communication, Media, and Theater Arts at Eastern Michigan University in Ypsilanti, Michigan, a project manager at Charcoal Blue in the Bay Area, California, and finally, a product development manager of software at ETC in Austin, Texas. Please be sure to check out USITT's job posting website. And again, if you're looking for someone, please post your job there. And finally, from our friends at Playbill. Here, uh, coming out of the vault of what's happened today in theater history for May 4th. On this day, in 1859, is the birthday of A.L. Erlinger, who, as half of the team of Claw and Erlinger, produced dozens of Broadway shows during the first three decades of the 20th century, including Dracula, Peg of My Heart, and The Jazz Singer. In 1891, it was the opening night of the musical extravaganza Wang, starring DeWolf Hopper. Moving up a few years, in 1976, it will be a short visit to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Ellen J. Lerner's musical about former presidents and their wives lasts just seven performances. Leonard Bernstein composes the score. Also in 1976, Side by Side by Sondheim is exactly that in the, re the review filled with songs by Stephen Sondheim. Ned Sharon, who also stages, Millicent Martin, Julie McKenzie, and David Kernan make up the cast at London's Mermaid Theatre. It later moves to the West End's Wyndham's Theatre for 781 performances. In 1982, playwright-director Antoine Fugard's Master Harold and the Boys opens on Broadway at the Lyceum Theatre. The play involves a white South African boy and his two black servants and stars Lonnie Price, Zach Mokay, and Danny Glover. Also on this day, in 1993, Tony Kushner's Angels in America Millennium Approaches opens at the Walter Kerr Theater on Broadway. The first half of Kushner's soon-to-be Pulitzer and Tony Award winner stars Ron Liebman, Joe Montello, Marcia Gay Harden, Stephen Spinella, and Kathleen Schulfant. In 2003, Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke star in the PBS Hollywood Presents television version of D.L. Coburn's Pulitzer-winning drama, The Gin Game. In 2005, Christina Abigate dances the title role of Sweet Charity and Opening Night, just weeks after breaking her ankle in a fall during the show's out-of-town tryout. Moving forward, in 2008, costume designer Alvin Colt will pass away at the age of 92. Colt designed costumes for more than 50 Broadway productions and won a Tony Award for the 1955 Rodgers and Hammerstein musical Pipe Dream. And in 2017, exactly 24 years after Millennium Approaches opened on Broadway, Andrew Garfield and Nathan Lane star in a London revival of Angels in America at the National Theatre. Marianne Elliott directs the production, which includes both Millennium Approaches and Perestroika, running in repertoire. It wins the Olivier Award for Best Revival and transfers to Broadway the following year. 
some important birthdays on this day. Shelton Brooks was born in 1886. Luther Adler in 1903. Howard De Silva in 1909. The great Audrey Hepburn in 1929. And Anna Gesteyer in 1967. Of course, there are many other events that happened on this day, May 4th. So please check out Playbill.com and check out Playbill's Vault for Today in Theater History, May 4th. As I conclude today's episode, I want to once again extend my gratitude to the members of our armed services, our healthcare workers, our nurses and doctors, our first responders, the police, fire, and emergency service officers around the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please join me in continuing to support these women and men as they face this near impossible task of saving lives in the face of such great adversity. Please support your local food bank and shelters. If possible, donate blood at one of your local Red Crosses. Be sure to check in on the elderly and support those who have special needs. Reach out to a friend and help not only make their day, but also improve your own. Now, of course, this wouldn't be a May the 4th without a Star Wars quote. So today I give that honor to, of course, Master Yoda, in which he said, When gone am I, the last of the Jedi will you be. The Force runs strong in your family. Pass on what you have learned. I'll actually add a second one, in which Master Yoda said, Do or do not, there is no try. Words of wisdom from the great Master Yoda. My name is Richard Bryant, and I am your host. It's May 4th, 2020. This has been the Corona Chronicles, Day 53. Take care, be well, and have a good night. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions on how to make this podcast better, please send them to archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, that's archivett24 at yahoo.com. <laughs>